Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Somewhat Damaged. I'm your host, Greg Alperin, and with me as always, John B. This week, we welcome a triple threat, LA-based comedian, writer, and prolific dancer, Fahim Anwar. We talk a little pandy, Michael Jackson, writing for United States of Al on CBS, and how to best prepare a ribeye. Make sure to check out his Comedy Central special, There's No Business Like Show Business, his hysterical Instagram, and on tour in a city near you. Enjoy it. Anyway, how are you? How's the good, man. How's the writer's room? Uh, it's good, you know? It's it's different. It's like, uh, I just come from a world of just doing straight stand-up in the past and like an acting job here and there, so it's like way more sporadic. And then this is, you, there's like a break room and shit. <laughs> you you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Totally. Cause like I used to work at Boeing back in the day and it feel, there's a little bit of that. Like I have an office, <laughs> I get a string cheese from the fridge, <laughs> but instead of planes, it's like you're writing jokes for a show. Yeah. Right. What, and what's the show? United States of Al on CBS. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of timely <laughs> now. Yeah, man. You know, what's crazy about it is like when it came out, it was already kind of like a high wire act sure. with, you know, with what's going on over there. And then with the pullout, it's, it's just accelerated it. It's made it an even higher wire act, you know? And how, how's, it, like, how's it played into like your writing on the show? And I mean, after your background, I mean, if your parents and you, you know, it's, it's your culture, right? So how, yeah. how into you know, how you're writing on the show and, and all of that you know i think that's why they brought in you know some of the afghan writers just for that perspective and to make it as honest as is you know they can and for that area of expertise sure. um yeah and like to, to the show's credit and everything with what's going on they're trying to um pivot and, and adjust to what's going on and address it because if you didn't address it at all it would just seem like incredibly tone deaf totally like if it was just hijinks yeah. still so trying to address what's going on with the situation and yeah, it's been a good learning experience too, just cause it's my first um, like TV sitcom writing gig. Right. And, but you've done some reality stuff, right? Like haven't, didn't you write on some reality or it's not reality, but sketches and, and sketches. Yeah. Sketch like, but that's different. It's like a different workflow. Cause like the sketch show we did for comedy central, was like a one hour sketch special, but that was just sort of porting over our workflow Cause it was just me and my boys, we used to do YouTube sketch and it was pretty much just that on steroids with like a production budget and everything. Right. But the workflow hey, was the same. I do have to ask a question. I mean, we talk about obviously the latest developments that are going on in, in Afghanistan, but when the show was slated to premiere, there was, you know, our industry is a crab mentality. And there was a lot of hate uh, around it saying that it was going to be like this. It's this piece that's being done by CBS. And it's the idea of it is to kind of, uh, you know, uh, pretend to the world that there's uh, that uh, that there's nothing wrong and that, the, that there's no racism in the world. And, you know, maybe maybe that the comic relief was going to be too much um, um, on the on the immigrant part uh, that, that that's in the series. How'd that make you feel to, to, to see some of these comments? I mean. I know a bunch of comics that wrote some things and I was like, can't we just celebrate that? Like somebody that was grinding through open mics and, you know, doing shows at 1130 at night is doing something on, you know, uh, national television. Yeah. There's uh, but no one, no one really thinks about that. No one's looking at my journey to like write on the show. They just see this overall and especially like woke Twitter and everything. I think people expect it to be the worst versions of what they imagine in their mind. So like before the show even premiered, it's like everyone was just like locked and loaded and, and had their fangs out. And I think it was refreshing for me working on it from the inside is like understanding everyone's intent, like the showrunner's intent on the show. And I think just we live in a world that's so quick to think people are at their worst. So that was kind of cool about working with the show is knowing how, how, how hard they're trying to get it right and how hard they're trying to do good by Afghans and like also military folk. It's like a crazy Venn diagram that we have. Sure. It's about a Marine and his interpreter in Afghanistan. 
and and that relationship does exist you know yeah, like because sure. yeah that's like a real thing yeah we're hearing the the the, the heart the heartwarming stories uh, right now about you know former marines and army personnel that are trying to get their friends out of afghanistan people that helped them on the ground that fed them that gave them a place to stay that hid them um yes but it, it is funny that you bring up the 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 woke twitter because you know at any case, uh, if the right went after something that you know looked like lovable, it's almost that the that the woke Twitter does the same thing uh, against something that they think is something kind of homogenized. Yeah, uh, I mean, like people will find fault. Like I'm sure there's military people who who like have a problem with it. I'm sure there's Afghan people who have a problem with it. Like the thing is, there are just so many layers to this, and I think an important takeaway, like even me being Afghan-American, I know there's some like Afghan-Americans who want the most nuanced, gritty, like HBO show. And that's great. And that'd be great to see. I would love to see that as well. God bless you. <laughs> but Thanks. you also have to remember that like this is a CBS sitcom and you can only like, scratch so deep given the medium. And you're trying to pull like middle America and people who wouldn't even bother to learn about the culture and introduce some new ideas in that regard. To be honest, and, CBS has been doing that. I mean, Gina Yashere has been writing. Yeah, with um, that show. show. I mean, it's, it's great to kind of see that. There was that one uh, show that CBS did about like God, like being the friend on, on, on social media. And I don't want uh -huh. to shit talk your own network right now, but <laughs> that one is a little far-fetched. But I'm a fan of Matt. I'm a fan of Madam Secretary. I watch Blue Bloods. I have Paramount. I have bought my own accounts. So want to let everybody know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's that thing you kind of have to ask yourself, like, um, this is the first show, like, we have nothing as Afghans, like, in, in the TV space, really. So it's just such a watershed moment in, in that regard. And I think sometimes the Twitter generation and such, it's like they want it all or they want to burn it down. But I've been in the business long enough to know, like, we have a seat at the table now. Like, this is progress. Like, even the writer's room. Like there's Afghans in there. That's like, there's never been this many Afghans in a, in a writer's room before. Um, and that's progress. So it's just sort of like, I'm very much of the mentality of like, let's, let's make step-by-step -step progress instead of like, it's got, it doesn't have everything I want. Let's tear down the Jenga tower. Right. right. How is, you know, how does it compare to, you know, your, when you were doing stand up, you know, seven nights a week to now working in a writer's room, like, how are you, a, able to balance that because I imagine you're working pretty rough hours and going to the comedy store, you know, different places to do, you know, sets at night and late sometimes. Like, how do, how do you find that balance between what could turn out to be, obviously, it is an amazing opportunity and who knows where that leads to doing your next hour special? Yeah, I'm balancing the two. And also, I never really want to let go of stand up. People have different trajectories and wants and desires out of their career. Some guys just do stand up long enough to get the writing job and then they just disappear in the room and they're happy. Like they, they just wanted to use stand up as a springboard to like get on in that regard and have a career. But like I've been doing stand up for so long that I never want to lose that arm. So I've been, uh, it's a balancing act cause I don't have all the free time in the world like I used to. Right. So I'm just a little more uh, methodical with my time and also COVID taught me to, to like ease up a little bit. Cause I was doing sometimes two, three spots a night in LA and I learned with COVID. I'm like, what, what am I learning? Like that's, that's a great mentality to have when you first start out doing stand up, because you're a sponge and you're soaking up all this information. But like where I'm at doing three spots a night, the Delta of what I'm gaining isn't worth what I'm taking a hit personal life wise and I can do one spot a night or I can yeah. be off two or three nights and still be fine. So just picking my, just being a little more precious with my time. I don't have to do every show. Sure. So that means that Fahim is, uh, what do you, what's your hundred guarantee now? 150 a spot now, I guess. <laughs> Something along those lines. Well, LA and New York are so shows. different. Uh, LA... I'm not doing the belly room whatsoever. <laughs> Not like I'll like the store is my baseline. I put my veils in Monday and that's kind of the backbone of my week. And right. then I'll, I'll like, if somebody hits me up to do some other show, I'll, I'll take it on as I can, as I can. But like the store is my home club and usually that's even enough. Right. And I'll just see if I can add more to my plate throughout the week. 
Yeah. I mean, I, but I, I'm, st- I'm still getting up, you know, like I'll still get up maybe four, four nights a week, five nights a week. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, I, I tell John all the time, like you're, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time in Southern California and at the store a lot. And, you know, I was, I always loved seeing shows that you were on the lineup because I knew that that was going to be 15 minutes of pure, like I, you know, if I was going to guarantee where I was going to laugh, it was going to be one of those 15 minute spots that you were. Oh, 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 that's oh, nice, oh, man. Oh, Thanks, oh, man. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, let him go. Let him go, dude. You know, <laughs> this is why bros don't give each other compliments enough because we get shame, dude. <laughs> no. um, so I'm glad to hear that you're not dipping out of. Yeah, that's really cool. You never, you do these spots at the store and stuff and you never know, like that's, like I had no idea you're in the crowd watching and that's kind of nice to hear that, that you saw it and enjoyed it. Yeah. I really, I, just to just to give you that compliment, knowing John was going to do a blowjob thing in the background. Yeah, that's me though. That's me. You know, I'm just a dick. <laughs> Forever. So it was kind of like a setup. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, you bring up a great point is that the idea, and I've uh, I heard a comic, Lev Fair said this uh, to a comedian that uh, they're like, can you believe he said this? And I actually said to myself, yeah, he says, you, it's not about quant- quantity. You know what I mean? You don't necessarily have to go out and do every single mic. You don't have to go out and do 30 spots a night. Um, you know, you have to do what makes you think and that like uh, what makes you kind of grow as a person uh, and as a comic. I think there are sometimes that in New York, we just get inside this bubble. I mean, you know, Aaron Berg had a special called 25 sets, the most sets ever done in New York City in one night. But then you see these comics that are running around that are brand new and they're just telling the same five haggard, you know, minutes, but they're not adding any tags. They're not trying to, you know, make it better. Um, you know, and then I had that conversation and I'm, I'm you know, the reason I'm going to name drop is for our listeners, but Matthew Broussard is very, um, and we've talked about this before. He's very systematic on how he writes his jokes. Like it comes down all the way to a spreadsheet. So he kind of utilizes that. Do you find yourself that you go for shows that you could probably try brand new stuff or do you kind of want to like work into it and kind of do a, a, you know, an honest opener that you know is going to work and then kind of weave in your newer stuff? Uh, yeah, I'll always start with a joke that I know works just to kind of get a temperature of of the room. So that way I know as a baseline, like if, if it's like dog shit off of like a pretty tried and true opener, then I know that whatever data I collect is going to be a little wonky. But if it has a nice pop, then I'm like, okay, this is like an honest crowd. Um, and it just, for me, what I am at a point in my career now where I value trying new stuff or like new material type shows or shows where I can mentally take the leap to try new stuff. Like if it's, if it's like a, like a younger comics workout show somewhere, or I'm popping on and I'm like one of the bigger guys on the lineup, like I'll, I'll try a lot of new stuff on that. Right. But if it's Friday or Saturday main room or Friday, Saturday, OR, uh, I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable enough to weaving a bunch of new stuff in there because to, for me, it's like higher stakes because of who I'm on the bill with and they're paying two drinks. They got a babysitter. There's like sure. a level of show. So I don't really try you know, much it's of funny. I, I actually thought about that a couple of months ago and I encourage comics on Stand Up New York stage to kind of try new stuff just because I have, um, especially on Fridays and Saturdays, there's a consistent audience right now with COVID um, in our pandemic. I don't have a lot of tourists. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm getting a lot of the same people. I always hear, and maybe there's an avant-garde maybe in the Upper West Side when it comes down to comedy, but I will get comments that be like, I love so-and-so comic, but that was the same set that I saw the last time that I was there. So I almost kind of like the idea uh, that, that that comics are trying stuff. And do you, is there maybe a difference between why I feel that in New York and why you kind of do it out in Los Angeles? <laughs> Uh, I mean, for me, it's like a fresh audience every time in, 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 in like the comedy store, it's such a tourist hub, Sunset Boulevard and all that. So it's like a new audience every time. And when I'm doing a Friday or Saturday, it's like, I'm doing my newest tried and true. So I'm like tightening the screws less, like I'm still tightening them, but because they're already pretty polished it's like a different type of writing. Like then it's more about tags. Then it's just like, it's more of a refinement for Friday, Saturday. But I love, 
if, if I, like, I don't want to do a ton of new stuff on a Friday, Saturday, cause you're going to burn an audience. Like they don't have enough goodwill to go with you. Whereas if I want to take that kind of creative leap, I would tell the comedy store. Cause sometimes I would do that. I would want to try a bunch of new stuff. And I would tell Adam when he was booking the store, I would say, give me a later time slot on Tuesday or Wednesday in the OR because it's a very different energy at 1230 AM than if you're at 1030 PM or like 11 in the OR. It's a, it's a different show every 15 minutes. People leave. Right. So when it's just kind of like a vibe and a hang, mm -hmm. I love just like going off my phone and throwing out all these ideas that I just had like in the last week or two. Right. right. Have you been able to weave anything from your act into the show as well? I, I sometimes see that with comedians uh, on Saturday Night Live. I will know, you know, what somebody's bits are, and I will see them kind of try to weave it into a weekend update thing, or I'll see, I'll hear the joke um, on a sketch. Have you been able to do that? It hasn't been that like one for one, um, because we're writing to a story or something. If I and I'm, I'm like kind of quick in that way, I'll just think of an idea for what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't have like a set piece that I want to put into the show i do um, can i call one <laughs> sure sure i you gotta get the pigeon piece into the show you got yeah i don't i just don't know if the writer's room works that way like hey guys i have this fully formed stand-up bit have al say it <laughs> come on just, we'll have him walk by a pigeon and then he does this four minute stand-up bit where no one else talks not even that. Don't even just touch on the Afghan crisis going on right now. Just do a four-part series on the fucking pigeon. Yeah, bits. I'm gonna take your advice and have that for the the season opener, and we'll just get torn apart. People, oh, uh, watch you no get sense. all the Emmys, baby. <laughs> yeah, an Emmy with three M's. It's like a off-brand Emmy. Did you, like when you came up with that bit, was that from like observing pigeons or did it just like hit you one day? <laughs> like pigeons are. Yeah, yeah I lived in K-Town and there were a lot of pigeons. So I would see them every day. Right. And then like, I, I literally did see a pigeon take the stairs. And that, <laughs> that just was like so funny to me that like he could fly. And I was just watching this pigeon <laughs> who's so tiny, but just decide to hop down them. <laughs> That's so fucking great. I'm sorry. I. I die. I just die at that. <laughs> but they did all the work for me. <laughs> so I just relayed it. I I, just, what, I am curious ahead, about like now with the store and the audit because I haven't been since the whole pandemic and they reopened. So how is how is it different now with the audiences since it is definitely less tourists and so much of the the lineups have changed with guys now living in Nashville and Austin. Like how's that vibe of the store changed and audiences? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you didn't realize you were living in this like pinnacle moment of the store in its timeline until like, you know, you, you, you don't know until you have hindsight. And it's it's obviously it's not as hot as it was with those like Tuesday night lineups and stuff like pre pandemic or like Rogan and Burr and all these guys. But it's still like a happening place. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, the main room will be sold out the OR. Um, but it's just it's just like scaled back a little bit but it, it's you don't know what the factors are though too because like there's there's still like a huge appetite for live comedy because i think music is just starting to come back um yeah so it's it's definitely not as hot as pre-pandemic right. but it's still thriving yeah yeah i mean it seems it i mean it just you know when you looked at those lineups a year and a half ago between were insanity it was crazy like, but they're still pretty good. Like the other day, it was like Jessel Nick, Theo, Bobby, Whitney. So they're still getting, but it's just like, it's not like every day, like it wasn't the story. Yeah. Sure. Um, you, 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 you know, just going back to the writers room now, you, you're working in CBS, you're working in LA, writing, you go through the little gate and everything. What's the one thing that you're getting right now that you like? Do you have like an assistant? Do you have like a parking spot that you're like, oh, this is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I've got a parking spot and it's got my yeah. stenciled on it. Oh, this is like shit. F, F dot Anor. I parked there. Um, yeah, you get lunches and stuff and there's like coffee runs. And then Do you abuse the PAs like Ellen did? <laughs> no, nah, I, I feel like I would hope that stand-ups have more of a heart 
just because I feel like we get treated like shit longer than any other entertainer so that you can sympathize with people who are like just getting their start. You would, you would think, you know, or that's how I am. And I feel like I'm a guy who's my career has been such a slow burn that I'm so grateful for the position I'm in as of late that I'm never like, I think the people who get it quick can be the divas. Right. Right. Because that's, that's, they think that's how life is. That's just all they know. But like, I mean, you gotta have, an intern has to know what your coffee order is. So when you come in the morning, like it's like ready for you. I mean, come on. Yeah, sure. But they just, they just text the text chain. They go, what, what coffee order? And you ah, <laughs> see, I want that shit ready on my desk, ready to go. Let's, uh-huh. you know, line of blow right next to it. Let's sure. fucking go, baby. <laughs> if it was the eighties, maybe. Uh, that what, was me on Thursday. What live is it on? Where, where you guys take film? Baby? Warner Brothers. Oh, it's on Warner's lot. Have you been yeah. to Smokehouse across the street? Of course, man. This guy, this guy knows his lot. So I took John to that when we were in town in July. And I've, I've been talking about the steak sandwiches for like so long. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, we got to go. And we went. And how many steak sandwiches did we order? And food, I mean, uh, We ordered two steak sandwiches, uh, which was fantastic. The, the fries, cream spinach. And then we had dessert. We, we recorded a podcast in the back room <laughs> with Randy Valerio. Oh, man. But the, the age, the demo in that room on a three o'clock on a, what, what day was it, on a Thursday or so? Like, I wouldn't expect that I was anywhere. Like, I, it honestly, it felt like a nursing home, but the food was so fucking good over there. Yeah, it's, it's like old Hollywood, you know what I mean? Um, I heard this tidbit because the EPs and like some of the writers who've been around for a while know, have this all this like lot knowledge and stuff. They were saying that uh, they used to shoot ER on the, on the Warner Brothers lot. Yep. And so George Clooney was there all the time. He would go over to the Smokehouse so much that he named his production company Smokehouse. Yeah. So like Smokehouse production right. is yeah. George true. Clooney's. Yeah. And I like, you know, he has a little George Clooney booth and all that shit. Over there. He does. Yeah. I didn't you fucking I, show me that shit. Meanwhile, when I go to LA, I just want to be cool, so I go to like to Nobu and Malibu and shit like that. <laughs> you go to cool things from five years ago. <laughs> oh, this is the fucking burn. <laughs> I'm glad I did. I go to Maestro's too in Malibu. Come on. Yeah. I gave you a, that was a foodie burn, dude. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, I I I spent I spent uh, the height of the pandemic actually in Los Angeles for a month in uh, November. I was out in Los Angeles, and I, I, I was I was just I was kind of taken aback about how much shit has kind of like closed down um, in that West Hollywood area. Was there anything that you that that shut down? You know that you're missing that like was lost in the pandemic? Any well, good food spots? Swingers haircuts? shut down, but then it it's opened back up. But for a period, that was kind of a trip. Like oh man, because that was the spot almost every right. comic went to after their sets. So that shutting down, and then Greenblatt's just shut down recently. Oh, it didn't. Did it really? Yeah, right by the Laugh Factory. Yeah, get out of town. Like, half liquor store, half deli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one spot that I want. I mean, I, I, I've been, was there anything that you missed in particular that you went, like, when, when, when Newsom reopened everything, was there anything that you ran to, to kind of do? Not really. I mean, I just missed stand-up when that was shut down. And then Did that's you do why any stand up during the pandemic. Well, there were different phases. Like, okay, everything was shut down at the beginning, right? Right. And then they started doing outdoor stuff. So outdoor right. shows were sprouting up all over LA, and I was doing a lot of those, and that was fine for me. Like, I was fine off of the outdoor shows. And then they shut down again. So then that sucked. Um, and I had the writing job. I got the writing job over the pandemic, so it was all over Zoom. So I'd basically Zoom by day, and then my nights and weekends would suck. And I just missed stand-up so much. And then I saw I saw this Instagram post, like this Kill Tony post. It was like, it said sold out. And it was uh, Anton's. And it just like fucked with my brain. I'm like, this is going on in an alternate universe. And then I started, the wheel started turning. I'm like, why can't I be out there? My job is on Zoom. So then I was like, I'm going to get an apartment out there while I wait out what's going on here in LA. And I'll just do stand-up at night in Austin. So then I... I went out there for like two months. So you were in Austin for two months, just working um, and being uh, just doing your Zoom stuff and doing stand up at the same time. Yeah. 
Some close calls. Around there. How was Austin? Like, how is Austin in the, you know, obviously all the guys who are living down there now. It's, they fucking cured COVID fucking before everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't have it out there. Yeah, it doesn't exist. But how how is it? Like, is it different? Like, what What's the whole vibe of the, Austin is known as a music city, right? And now it's. Obviously. Yeah, you know, I think there is a big appetite for comedy. They're, they're accustomed to live entertainment and they're really embracing comedy and like, Joe is such a like great son to orbit around over there too and to gravitate towards like you have you have like the Michael Jordan of comedy in your hometown and so the whenever I was doing shows there's this like level of appreciation out there um like people would come up to you afterwards and there's like this level of gratitude that is a little beyond what you get in LA or when you perform in other places so that was kind of cool uh but it, it it was cool in the pandemic but now that LA has opened up again and I'm I'm back here I just feel like there's more high caliber shows going on in in LA. There's sure. just more high quality shows that I can do, right. um, which is great if you're trying to like, it's great for writing and, you know, for building material growth wise. And it depends on where you are in your comedy career. I think if you're a younger guy, it might make sense to go to Austin because there's less barriers of entry and the distance between the top and the bottom isn't as great. Yeah, and there's right. a lot now. I mean, and, and I have, I've heard, you know, a lot of younger comedians that have, have just picked up and moved to Austin that, you know, I, I was kind of surprised <laughs> by where I thought they were in their, you know, comedy journey to now move to Austin. It's, you know, it sounds like it's a pretty smart move because there is good, you know, good great talent. That is interesting mm -hmm. that you said that, that you, that the idea that younger comics, because there's the gap is like so much lower over there. That's better for comics to kind of go down there. Um, yeah. And, and like, if it's just about stage time, like I think that more and more shows are, it's, it's, it's in this growth phase as yeah. a city and so many different industries and comedy is one of those as well. So I think you you would be able to get up a lot more if you're a younger comic in Austin than say, does LA and New York is, is it's a saturated city. Right. Agreed on you wholeheartedly on that. I mean, Creek in the Cave just opened up down uh, down there with Rebecca. Um, and then there's that, uh, I think Joe Rogan's opening his place up soon, from what yeah. I've been told. And then what's the other venue that's that's been Vulcan. down there? Gaslight? There's a couple. Uh, Vulcan. Vulcan Vulcan's, Gas Company. And then there's this other one called, like, uh, the ATX Sunset Strip. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a town you miss playing in right now? What, like in Austin? No, a town like that from touring. Is there any anyone that you like want to go back to? I mean, listen, you're hitting you're hitting the you know the laptop pretty hard from nine to five, churning out jokes. Sure, sure. Um, there's got to be some place that you're just like, oh, I can't wait to go back and you know go enjoy yeah. myself and check into that Hilton across from the, across from <laughs> like the it's road. not even about the shows it's just about the Hiltons I check yeah. into like ah I gotta get back into that Hilton <laughs> I don't even like doing stand-up I just love conditioner <laughs> probably uh, I mean comedy on state's always great that's a great room and it's a cool little college town and I love going to the tornado room it's just like such a great restaurant where's tornado uh, where's uh, comedy on state that's uh, Madison Wisconsin wow so there, and then Comedy Works is always great. Sure. Uh, and that's in, that's in Denver. Denver I'm trying yeah. to think. They run a freaking great place over there. Like that, yeah. when I was down there, like, it's just like, even for a non-comic, like going down there, it's just like, just the vibe feels cool. The, the staff is awesome. And it's like, people are always ready down there. I mean, it's just like one of those great towns. I've heard yeah, really savvy comedy audiences. And, and they've like trained their audience to just kind of like risk to trust the club like even though you may not know who the comic is i think the patrons trust the club enough to know they they know what they're doing and they put on good shows sure yeah so i how did you become such a good dancer <laughs> that's a random little i love the segue on that one by the way <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, we're know, fucking I, professionals over here at 10 o'clock yeah. on the east coast <laughs> Anyone that follows your Instagram can't get, you know, they obviously know that, you know, you, you take pride in your dancing. I don't know. It's just like, I don't know if I take pride. It's just like, I'm not a, it's a, I feel like every entertainer or comedian 
just uses everything in their bag. And like when I was a kid, I used to dance a lot and I would go to school dances and stuff. And, but then you enter the workforce and there's no place for that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was working at Boeing aerospace for four years. I'm not fucking busting out any moves. So you just <laughs> the, bury the, that shit. The holiday party. Then, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not doing it. Just getting wasted and like head spinning. And then it's fucking weird at the photocopy machine the next day. <laughs> So then I get into comedy full time. And the thing is, when you are a stand up comedian, you don't really, you don't worry about seeing people at work the next day. Like right. there is no break room where it's weird. If you, you can be a little more free as a, as a, like a creative spirit, things you would never do with a day job you will do when you're not tethered right. by the nine to five or corporate America. So I would dance in these funny, someone who just, I would just turn on the camera and dance and throw it up. Just like, why not? Some other times it would be in a humorous capacity. Like I would have a funny angle on the dancing, but it was this like seasoning that people seem to really enjoy. And it's just been a part of like, I've embraced it and I'm, I won't shy away from it. It's like a part of my arsenal now sure. where, and, and I like that sometimes as comedians, I think this is a problem with New York. Like I love New York. But I think sometimes I had shit talking, baby. Come no, on, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't want to shit talk, but like sometimes there are mentalities with certain cities, like certain patterns, and and like just because you're peers and stuff. And I think sometimes it's like all about who has the best joke, who has the most jokes, who's the most cutting and acerbic and all that stuff, and who looks the coolest while doing. Who's the coolest? Whereas sometimes you forget that. Uh, you can paint with so many colors and like sometimes you don't have to be funny. Sometimes something can just be entertaining and that's enough, you know, like totally. when I do a dancing thing, it's not like I'm not blowing anyone's mind with words and I don't have the best angle on a topic, but like you can allow yourself to like something can be entertaining and that's enough. Sure. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely entertaining. I, I think it's, I mean, it's very funny, you know, not, not like you, you're, you know, He's fucking hating on your dancing. No, no, no. I know. Because I think some people wouldn't allow, like, even if they had the skill set, some of, some people wouldn't allow themselves to do it because they're afraid of the perception or that's not cool to do. Right. Whereas I think if you remove that, it can, it can be really, I don't know, enriching and you can flourish. Yeah, All right, we got to throw it back here. We got to throw it back. Your middle school dance, it's a Friday night, 8 p.m. What's the song that's making you go on the dance floor? Do you remember? Bro. All right, this is this is kind of like a two-pronged thing. So, because the initial question that was asked was like, how did I become good at dancing? Mm -hmm. And it was because when I was a kid, Michael Jackson was my shit. Right. Like okay. I consumed everything. Like I would record the music videos. I would slow it down. I would learn the dance from beat it, like from the concert footage or not beat it. Um, Billie Jean, just that intro with the hat. And so like, if, if Michael Jackson is your teacher, cause what I do is not Michael, but like, that's the foundation. Yeah. Like that's the DNA. Yep. And he's one of those dancers who he's like a vessel for the music. Like, he feels it. I've talked about dancing. Like I'm, I, I'm really passionate about this. Like no, 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 it's good. I love it. I'll, love I'll it. watch people dance, and and like they're regurgitating moves. Like they're doing one, two, three. They're doing steps, but they don't feel it in their fucking bones and soul. Like when I watch people who are just an extension of the music, and they like feel it. Like I care about feel more than anything else. Got it. And you could, yeah, you could tell when someone is like feeling the music. Um, so yeah, the school dances, if Michael Jackson came up, cause I would do it for talent shows and stuff. So oh, if shit. like beat it came on or any Michael Jackson song came, the whole school is trying to find me to like, get me on the dance floor. <laughs> the circle opens and, up. The circle. And sometimes up. I wouldn't yeah. want to, and I would like have to run away. I would have to like hide in the bushes and shit. Wow. I didn't want to do it Did every you time. I mean, come on. I mean, we're coming up to the Halloween, the fall season. I mean, Thriller. I mean, you have thriller, to know the whole yeah, Thriller. Man. Is that that? No, nah, Billy Jean was my jam. That was the dance. Okay. That was the one that I mastered. The the one that I mastered. You have the hat. Do you have the glove? Like, I mean, I didn't bring a fucking fedora to the dance. <laughs> like, I yeah, have a glove I mean, come on, and a hat, and I'm like, that. guys, I don't want to do it. All right, I, I don't want to do it. Even though I have a glittery glove and a fedora, I'm like, guys, guys. I just came to chat with my friends. 
give me the backpack. <laughs> but it's funny. Two dollar sodas and two dollar bags of chips. <laughs> I feel like my dancing is a Rorschach test because some people think it's amazing, and then some people think it's the worst thing in the world. It's so funny. Because like, what's interesting is every time like I post a dancing video, Leslie Jones will always repost it. She'll repost it on her Instagram and she'll repost it on her Twitter. Now, and is she doing it be like, look at this funny motherfucker and think It's that interesting because I think she, I, I, I think she really likes it because she uh -huh. keeps on like posting it each time. And I think one of them she did say she liked it, but like she'll always frame it like, like, oh, look at like this, this boy needs help or whatever. And then <laughs> when you add that perspective to it, all the comments are like, yeah, this guy sucks or, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> like, but then some some people are like, I don't know what you guys are talking. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> you know, when you post stuff and you now assume that she's going to repost it, are you thinking like, all right, I got to really step out into this one because Leslie's going to post this and I'm going to get murdered on what these comments are going to be? No, not really. Because like I still gain like a thousand followers, no, like no matter what she does. So. <laughs> I mean, listen. All right. So Michael Jackson, number one. What do we think yeah. of like Usher? I mean, Usher's up there with, I mean, Usher's as far as there. feeling the music. Yeah, Usher's up there. Uh, have uh, you seen Genuine in concert? Come on. I have, I have not. How does he feel? Bro, you got it. Bro. You have to, if you see, if there's like a 90s throwback concert, like, I don't know, the Troubadour or something stupid like that, or the Hollywood yeah. Bowl, fucking you got to go see. Like, genuine, like, it, it's a whole it's an experience, you know, when Genuine hits the stage. And it's not even just – and he saves Pony for last. Like, he does like 30 minutes. But Doctor. Pony is at the at the end. And something just, like, takes over. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I have to put Genuine um, on, the, on the Mount Rushmore. Number Dance. four, I'm going to give it to Insect. I'm going to give it to Insect. All right. All of them? <laughs> yeah, even even the, even the, the Joey Fatone's up there. <laughs> Joey Fatone's up there. Hell yeah, Joey Fatone. He was in he was in my big fat Greek wedding. It was me. He's like, a oh, I forgot. About, okay, yeah, you're right. You're it's right. That's joint now. Come on. <laughs> uh, Lance was up. Lance could dance, and I mean, yeah, yeah that the one guy that was up front, Justin Timberlake. He's not forcing this down down our throats. I I don't agree. But what? Where do you go after Michael Jackson? What in the in the pantheon of dancing great? Yeah, I mean about Rushmore in your face right now, Fahim. Who are you putting up there? I mean, a simple question. <laughs> well, like for as much as I love dance, I'm not like a great student of it. I don't have these deep cuts that would I, I would put up there. But like, let's see. I guess um, Mr. Wiggles. I used to watch. You remember Mr. Wiggles? Mr. Wiggles. No, I used to watch breakdancing shit. Like, uh, oh, oh, but, but he was that. he was a popper. So Mr. Pop Wiggles used it. to blow, my, yeah, yeah, like he would just do like crazy waves and stuff. And so Mr. Wiggles blew my mind. Um, yeah, Michael Jackson's up there. You gotta see the stuff in America's Got Talent, like the Jabberwockies, like those, like, I mean, Joe Coy had a whole segment that wanted the special just dedicated to fucking break dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who else? And I mean, obviously he has his problems, but I would say Chris Brown is up there. What'd he do? <laughs> oh, you don't know? <laughs> Which time? <laughs> Got a basketball league? What's that? Chris Brown has a basketball team. Like nice. I, I watched it. I just happened to be flipping through channel yesterday and stumbled on Chris Brown playing basketball, like professional basketball. Okay. Is that what the people want to see? I don't know. I don't know who wants to see it. It was very odd. But anyway, speaking of Chris Brown. <laughs> So what's besides writing on the show? Like, are you are you prepping like a next hour? Like, what what's happening from here? Like, stand up wise? Or yeah, pretty much. I kind of am prepping the next hour. So, I think I have doing. I think it's laughs in Boston. Right. Oh, are you? Yeah, it's right on the water. That's awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't done it. I heard it's great. So I can't wait to do that. So I'll be able to because I've been running the hour, uh, multiple weekends and stuff. So that'll maybe be the last one before I get around shooting it. And then I think I'm going to shoot it in New York. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, that's, I'm working towards towards the next hour. Oh, that's awesome. So I mean, you're trying out in Boston. Uh, oh, Boston. Uh, there's a place um, food-wise. I don't know. Are you a seafood guy? Oh, yeah, man. All right. 
So uh, Eventide, which Greg and I love, which is out and up in Maine, they've got one also in Boston. It is one of the best lobster rolls that you will ever have in your life. Oh, nice. Like, okay. Sorry. Uh, we'll get into food later. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Greg. My apologies. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was curious where you were going with that. But I, you know, no, we can get into food now. But I, I like, I do want to, like, you know, your, your parents, like, do they now that you're writing on a show on major network, do they now like consider you Tom Cruise? Like, are you at that? <laughs> I don't know about Tom Cruise, but it, I think uh, they're content now. My dad, my dad is the last, uh, the last one to fall, you know? Right. Like first, my brother was like locked in from the jump. Like sure. he was locked in long ago. And then my mom, came around when I took her to the premiere of Whiskey Tango Foxtrot in New York. So she got to meet Tina Fey and everybody. So I took her to like a red carpet and like she was fine after that. And and then my dad is just so nuts and bolts. He, he understands money. He understands money and just sitting in a chair for eight hours. So this writing job, he can wrap his head around because it feels like familiar to him. Sure. Yeah. Right. What do you think will bring him around? Would it be like I don't know. Well, they're around now. I think just the freelance wheeling and dealing nature of stand-up and the mercenary lifestyle is too foreign and unstable in his mind to, to really write off on it. But work like going to Warner Brothers Monday through Friday, having an office, sitting in a chair, getting a lunch, <laughs> like that feels like something he knows you left boeing to what tell jokes yeah. <laughs> is that kind of the the, the, the conversation that happened I'm first like, dad now i write jokes in an office setting and he's like oh okay did, we did, have a coffee machine did you see the picture of your parking spot with your name on the plaque no maybe i'll do that do that i wonder i wonder if that'll move the needle for them at all i mean <clears> a parking spot doctors and people on movies that you know lots have their name on plaques so, well, that's a good point. I'll, I'll frame it like that. <laughs> All right. All right, John, get to your food. All right. I got to ask. Um, we always ask what, um, you know, obviously I, I alluded to it. We're big. I'm a big food guy. Love food. New York City, some of the best food in the world. But I love talking to comedians uh, that, that are touring and um, who are around. Like, what is the best thing that they've had to eat? In? So we, we decided we'd break it down a little bit more. And we just asked, we, we asked ask you a question which is what was the best thing you had to eat this week damn you know what i made a steak i'm gonna take the credit i made a steak yesterday oh, yes that's the first time that somebody's taken claim to this i'll take i'll take claim i'll take credit yeah i really updated myself what'd you do on the steak what kind of cut was it all right so it was a ribeye right from gelson's i paid a little more it was a nice little piece of meat you know well, I'm well, a writer now. I can do yeah, that. Yeah, that was big. Baby, you got the Warner Brothers money. Yeah, prices don't, they don't scare me anymore. <laughs> Daddy wants what he wants. Bone in, put the bone in. Yeah. No, there's no bone. There's no bone. See, that's, yeah. I mean, I get it. I get the it. Quick, quick old easy. me, I would, I would like, I would need one digit to buy that steak. This was two digits and I, I still did it. Nice. Now, you. what do we do? We do a cast iron skillet here to be. Bro, this is pan. like futuristic. This is a new technique that I've whipped up. I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's very commonplace. It may be. Some people might say blasphemous, but it works. It worked for me. I'm gonna pitch it. You can try it. I might get some hate, but it involves an air fryer. All right. I knew so, it. I knew you were hear, me out, hear, hear me out, though. Hear me out. All right, so I see I have sea salt. All right, I have kosher sea salt. Sprinkle it on one side, cracked pepper. All right, put that on there. Do the same on the other side. Put the air fryer at four hundred on grill. I have grill plates. It's a ninja foodie. All right, I set it for six minutes, three minutes on each side. That's just to kind of like get the pepper and the salt combined on the layer of you know. And I've got the pan going. I've got the cast iron skillet. I've got it going. All right, getting it hot. I've got butter on this, a knob of butter on the side. I've got rosemary. I've got crushed garlic. All right. So once it's almost pretty much done in the air fryer, I've got the butter going on this hot skillet. I've got the rosemary in there. I've got the garlic. Now I transfer it to the pan. It's sizzling and shit. 
I'm bathing my boy. All right. I'm bathing him. There you go. Got a big spoon. I'm just drizzling it. All right. For about a minute, 40 seconds, whatever. Eyeballing it. Flip that shit with tongs. You know, bathe him again. All right. Put him on his side. Render the fat. I do that. All right. I cut into it to a point that I like it. I I got a feel for it at this point. Let it sit for a while. I've got the tots going in the air fryer as well. I've got a kale the salad fat, that's already made. Are we leaving, leaving the, the juice, juice from the steak? We're leaving the juice. My dude. My dude. Yes. So how do, what, what's, your, what's your temperature? Let, let, we got to talk temperature. For what? The steak? The steak. What do you look? What well, are you cooking at? Medium? I'm, medium rare? Uh, I do a medium. Okay. That's great. That's, that's you know, some people, some people do, they say medium rare is the only way to do it. It's a little too, there's too much give for me. Yeah. In my twenties, I was like black and blue, Pittsburgh blue, like seared on the outside, insides rare. In my thirties now, I'm like, no, no, let's go with medium. I'm, I'm fine with medium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The medium rare, I mean, I love medium rare, but it's, it's a little, it's tough. Like, I feel it, like my teeth are doing too much work with the work. medium rare. Sure. True. Really happy. And how was and okay, so I heard tots. Did we get a veggie side as well for this? Well, yeah. that's what the pre-made kale salad from Gelson's is. It's called like Jessica's kale salad. It's got sunflower seeds, it's got it's got uh feta, I believe. It's just like pre-made. Little hack that I do with the pre-made salads, I put everything like I keep, you know how like it's uh, you open it up and there's a lettuce and there's like individual bags. I put all the dry ingredients first, keep it in the bag. And then I pour everything, I pour this dressing over it, shake that all up in the bag itself. So no waste. I don't have to do Whoa. a bowl or anything like that. Little little thing. I everything blow, is coated perfectly. Yes. You blow a little air on top of it, shake it around. Yeah, that's that's how I do it. I mean, that's I get it. You know, you live in single. I mean, that's that that's that's a little life hack that I was gonna just tell all of our viewers, our listeners out there as well. That's amazing. Sounds like a hell of a good Sunday dinner lunch. It's dope. That's dope. I always think, and I always say this, I, I hate going to steakhouses because I always know that I can do it better. And <laughs> I have to say, that is the perfect, like, I mean, I, I was I was a little nervous, but I've seen the air fryer before. I thought you were going to be like, I sous vide it for like three hours. Oh, man, no. <laughs> so I got real excited. I got real excited. This remedies a problem that I was having with the when I was just doing like, I, before I would do cast iron skillet and then I would finish in the oven. Okay, a little reverse sears. A little rever- yeah, but the, tr- the trouble is, is whenever I would season it and I'd put it on the pan, the shit would just peel off on the pan. <sighs> so huh. the air fryer, once I get it going, it like I don't have that problem because now sure. it's one. Right. That's solid. I like that. I'm gonna try a steak actually in the air fryer. I, I have an air fryer as well. Gonna try it, and it's faster because the oven is just bigger. It takes longer to get going. Just the air fryer, I mean, to get it going in six minutes—that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. My my trick with steak, if I'm gonna grill it like on a barbecue outside, is I'll wrap the steak in uh, tin foil and just put it on the on the top layer of a grill and let it heat for like mm. ten minutes, right? And all the juice sits in there and it just bakes into the meat, and then I'll put it on the grill. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a little, like a, uh, uh, because a brazing situation over there. I don't know. I've been, uh, I pulled out the smoker today. I think I'm going to start smoking some stuff. Um, just to kind of back, back off of, uh, your, your, your steak. Last thing I had took my boy, Justin Randall. He broke up with his boyfriend. I was like, I'm going to take you out to dinner. He just stopped eating. He stopped eating meat like about a year ago. And I was, he's like, I'm ready to eat steak again. His last steak was with me. So I was like, screw it. We went to quality, uh, quality Italian up on 48 or 58th got the uh tomahawk over there all right this is my issue with steaks being cooked at other restaurants if you're cooking a tomahawk it should not be on a grill so it's got that flavor of that charcoal on it i don't want to taste that i want a nice pan sear on that so that's what i had but that wasn't the best thing i ate this week they also have a chicken parm pizza now this it may sound simple but there's no crust they take three chicken breasts and they pound it down to get this thin kind of layer of like almost like a pizza crust. They coat it, fry it, bake it with sauce and cheese on top. They serve it with like a spicy honey and arugula salad. That was the best thing I have eaten this week. So Why far. is that chicken Parmesan? <laughs> what? It is a chicken Parmesan, but it's a chicken parm pizza. Have you, have you had the, 
the naked chicken taco from Taco Bell. <laughs> no, <laughs> because Wait, it's reminiscent of that. <laughs> it's basically a taco where the shell is chicken breast that's been pounded down. You feel like God is going to smite us all once you eat that. Like, well, I just think it's so crazy that we're not allowed to eat shell. Like that's in the Bible stuff, like shellfish. But he said nothing about the naked chicken taco. <laughs> like that's more of an abomination to God than anything else. <laughs> it's like that Louis C.K. bit, and uh, he's like, he's like, he's like, what's all this black stuff? Oil? What you use it for? To go fast? I gave you feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, Fahim, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, appreciate man, it, no man. Problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Where can we find? Uh, where can our listeners find you on uh, social media, man? Uh, Instagram. Fahim Anwar, Twitter, Fahim Anwar, and then YouTube, Fahim Anwar as well. And then TikTok, I couldn't get that. So I think I'm FahimAnwar.comedy. Um, yeah, and then I have a podcast too called Fahim Anwar Dance Hour. So check that out. Yeah, man, hopefully we can get you on some of our LA shows. Enough. Yeah, yeah. we're some stuff with ATC. We just had our first one uh, last Thursday, which was a fucking blast. We had TJ Miller stop by. Matthew Broussard was there, Dulce Sloan. But yeah, we're going to start, we're, we're doing them out in LA now. Thanks, nice. Greg. And we'll be out there too. We'll be out in LA soon, right? Yeah, we're jamming the van. Oh, yeah. cool. I'm doing that Friday. Are you doing it? New, their new location, yeah. Inside or outside? The inside I think it's inside. Yeah, I think they just, just opened inside. Yeah, so that'll be interesting because that was a fun show during the pandemic. That was kind of the only place that was open. Right. It was that, and then Matt Reif had his show that I went to a couple of times. Right, yeah. And then yeah. I was running stuff at West Hollywood. And what, then, um, where's that steak? Is it, uh, is it your show, or is, because who, who else does a big show there? No, it's a long time no see. They're producing it. So I think Ian Edwards is on it as well. So I'm, I'm just like on the bill. All right. Yeah, that should be fun. But well, dude, sick uh, for him. Uh, if you guys are in the Boston area, make sure you go check him out. Laugh Boston, salt, super solid spot right on the water. If you get too drunk, you can just stay at the hotel that's right above you, too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. All right, dudes. Thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right. Take it easy, guys. Later. Peace.